what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They're calling for one Chicago. Shut down, they shut down. This is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome in one and all to the final episode of the semester of Chronicle Headlines. I am your host, as always, Blaze Mesa, with you as the final days of class dwindle away. But later on in the show, we do have a good one today. We have some major stories, such as the analysis of the 990 tax form for the college. For those of you who don't know, that uh, basically breaks down the uh, the cost of a little bit of everything. So assets, revenue, administrative compensation, we'll be talking about that in a second. We also have the cost of being a Columbia student, and that number is including rent and groceries and all those things. We'll get to that a little bit more And our third story will be missed or incorrect payments on the GI Bill for veteran students. But first, one student has been diagnosed with mumps on campus. The student has been identified and treated. Mumps is a highly contagious disease that causes headaches, fever, tiredness, and swollen salivary glands. There has been an increase in reported cases of mumps over the past couple years, according to the Center for Disease Control and Infection. 229 cases were reported in 2012, as compared to 6,366 cases in 2016. If you are vaccinated for mumps, it is unlikely you will contract the disease. Students have the first six weeks of the semester to get their vaccinations, so any student can be on campus without being vaccinated, according to a December 5th email statement from Registrar Carrie Walters. If students are not vaccinated past the six-week mark, their account will be put on hold. Now it's time to stomp on over to Chicago native Artis Olds, who is part of the stepping group Stomp. Stepping is a form of dancing that creates rhythms with a mixture of footsteps and claps. Stomp is performing in Chicago from December 5th to the 30th at Broadway Playhouse at the Water Tower Place at 175 East Chestnut Street. The show really takes on that sound of the city, you know, kind of the, the moving parts, the traffic, the just when you kind of close your eyes from downtown, you know, you're just hearing the city. And I think that there's something about that same music, you know, that translates to big cities all over the world and Chicago definitely being one of those cities. And like the, the music of the city is what you hear in the show. Old said the show is not your typical musical theater show. Our next story is an alternative form to in-person counseling. Telepsychiatry is mental health care from remote locations, such as on your computer with Skype or via phone. Dr. Betsy O'Brien is a psychiatrist at Regroup, which is a telepsychiatry group in Ravenswood. She works in New Jersey and can connect with anywhere between 40 to 50 patients a week. It's not really a substitution for having someone in person. It's a substitution for not having anyone at all. A June 2018 article published by the American Journal of Prevention Medicine found that 27% of metropolitan counties and 65% of non-metropolitan counties did not have access to a psychiatrist. Regroup contracts with hospitals, health systems, correctional systems, and primary care sites, among other things, to help patients where they may need it, said David Cohn, the group's founder. And I hope we get to a place as a society where people would no sooner not go to a therapist than they would not go to a dentist or or doctor. Regroup is available in 16 states and provides an average of around 10,000 sessions with patients 
each month. Our front page story this week follows the annual release of the 990 tax form. A 990 tax form is a document that nonprofits uh, organizations fill out, and it contains information on how much money the nonprofit made, how much money was donated to the college, and um, perhaps most interestingly, what it pays its top employees. To talk more about the tax form, we have Ariana Portalatin, the editor-in-chief who worked on this story. Ariana, you and me both looked at the tax form, and as much as I'd like to pretend people are very interested in how much the college got through donations and how much more money it made that year, but I know people are mostly interested in how much people got paid. So first off, got to clarify one thing. This is the 2016-2017 fiscal year, is that correct? Yes, it is not uh, this year or last year. So this is accurate for two years ago, Mm -hmm. if my math is correct. So Ariana, what were some of the the ballpark ranges we had for some of the top administrators at the college? Um, I think it was anywhere between like 200,000 and over 600,000, which was what uh, President and CEO Kwang Woo Kim is paid yes. as far as total compensation. Mm-hmm. So that there's a base salary with that and then some sort of bonus structure. Is that what I'm getting from this? Yeah, and then benefits and things like that. But in the end, uh, Kwang Woo Kim making $650,000, uh, senior vice president and provost Stan Weirden with $323,000, and former Vice President of Business Affairs and CFO Richard Dowsick. Yes. He stepped away in spring 2016. He made $260,000, $261,000, my mistake. But when we wrote the story, we like to compare it to what he could buy. And but what I mean by that is how many certain items he could buy. And I know this didn't make it into the print edition because it would look a little weird, but this is true. He gets paid more than Javier Baez, who won a World Series with the Cubs, is an all-star second baseman, and was third place or second place in the MVP voting. But we have six things he gets paid up, six things he can buy with his yearly salary. We're not going to tell you all six, but Ariana, which one was your favorite of the six? Got to tease the people out there. Get them to pick up the paper. Wow. We all heard you mouth that. You didn't read them. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Can you tell us why you didn't read it, Ariana? Because I was writing my editor's note. (laughs) So what was your editor's note about? Let's tease that really quickly. Just so let's get something going here. My editor's note is about um, the college recently announced that it was switching its uh, software that it uses for like email and um, drives to like hold documents, um, things like that. So we're using Gmail Suite currently um, while faculty and staff uses Microsoft Office. Um, So now we're moving to the Microsoft Office platform in spring 2019. So I was writing about that. (laughs) Wow. That is so exciting. Yes. Well, luckily for everyone out there, I wrote all six of them. I did the mathematics myself. For example, Dr. Kim could buy 110 uh, Super Bowl tickets in the end zone, which is enough for, if you go on StubHub, he can buy out three and one-third sections of seats remaining. He can also buy two helicopters. What? I'm I'm seeing a look on your face. Was that, do you want two helicopters? 
No, do you have these memorized, or are you reading off of something? I have some of it memorized, but I did not know that he could buy 4,340 Amazon Alexas. That's the second-generation Echo Plus model. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff he can buy here. It's it's just, super interesting. Now I find it funny that you asked me to recite them when I hadn't looked at the numbers yet, because they were numbers you had gotten while I was working on some other stuff. And I didn't know you, I didn't know you hadn't looked at it, but now I look much better. <laughs> For being able to tell everyone what the numbers were about. Better prepared. Yeah, no, I definitely am. It's like I've written the entire podcast myself, but (laughs) uh, that's something for a different time. You have been writing Campus News for a long time, and I think Kim's salary increased from last year. Is is my memory serve me correct? Yeah, I don't know by how much, but I'm pretty sure it... um... It, de- it definitely increased. And I know there's definitely some unrest at the college, but is it all too uncommon for his salary to increase or decrease every year? I don't think so. I think part of that has to do with, you know, just how long he's been at the college, um, inflation, cost of living. I think all of that gets taken into account. I, it doesn't seem very unusual for salaries to and go And then up. I know we spoke with David Bay, who everyone can read about in the story, but he mentioned that, you know, it'll kind of ebb and flow depending on what other presidents and CEOs of colleges get paid. And what I found interesting is we're sitting here like, wow, $651,000. He could buy two helicopters. He's not the highest paid president in Chicago. U Chicago's president makes $1.2 million a year, and that is according to, I think, their 2015 uh, 990 form. But comparing to other schools, he's not getting paid all that different. Do I have that correct? No, he's actually. I think he's actually getting paid uh, pretty less compared to others. Yeah, I know depending, I think we looked at maybe Pratt, Emerson, DePaul, a couple schools, but without having numbers soup here in the story or in the podcast, you can go look at that in the story. But what was the most interesting thing that you saw on the 990 tax form? Now, this one I know you can answer because you looked at the whole form and I'm pretty sure we have the same answer. Yes. So what I'm going to say is the most interesting thing I saw in the form is, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what under what section, but there's a part in there um, towards the end that shows that the college is investing, I think it was like over $50 million. Yeah, I think it was $51 million. Yep. In Central America and the Caribbean, um, separate from program services for its like study abroad programs. So that was kind of interesting. Um, and then I think you were able to get a little more information on that. So they're not doing any weird like offshore bank account thing that we should be concerned about. Is that right? No, it's, I mean, it's an, it is an investment, but it has to do with the college's endowment funds. Oh, um, that's not as interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, uh, we have a, a couple minutes here, and I feel like I should uh, tell people one or two more things about the 990 form. Uh, Columbia did see another decrease in contributions and grants, which is essentially donations to the college. This year was a 17% drop, give or take. And on the 2014-2015 990 form, contributions and grants were at $14.1 million. For, and then for the 2016-2017 fiscal year, which is the most recent form we have, they were at 58 million dollars. I was able to speak with Vice President of Development and Alumni Relations Sean Wax, who said the forums are going to look worse next year. The statistic that would surprise you, at least I hope it would surprise you, is our alumni participation, meaning the the percentage of our alumni base that makes a donation to the college, is less than one percent. 
typically at a public institution, uh, you might see that anywhere from 10 to 14%. At a private institution, uh, you may see that upwards of 25 to 50%. Wax attributed the decline to turnover in his position, which led to a lack of fundraisers. I don't think it was a poor relationship. I just think there was no one actually going out and seeing folks. I don't think it was someone going out, seeing folks, having a conversation, and there's negativity. It's just that there was no one here to go see folks. Now we have a full staff and a full team, and every time we go see people and have a conversation about Columbia, the response is overwhelmingly positive, and people are making donations. But I do have some good news to report. Wax said during his year or his time uh, when he was able to take over his tenure at Columbia, he was able to get fundraising back up around $6 million, but we do not yet have that tax form. So we will see that in a couple of years. Ariana, thank you for coming on now, but stay tuned. You'll be on the podcast a little later. It's exciting, isn't it? Yes, it is. Thank yeah, you well, for having me twice. We, <laughs> twice, first time ever, but we will see you then. <laughs> From one finance story to another, we have Molly Walsh, managing editor of the Columbia Chronicle in the studio, who has news that is going to make me hide behind my microphone. Molly, you wrote a story about the cost of living, attendance, graduation, I don't exactly know how to explain it, but basically the cost of being a Columbia student and being, I guess that's one way to put it, but I guess I'll throw it to you, for four years to be a Columbia student... What numbers did you use to try and get this calculation? Because it's not quite cost of attendance, and it's not quite cost of living. Yeah, so what I did was I um, interviewed 14 different people on the street on campus that were Columbia students, and I um, asked them per week how much they spend on groceries and food. So that includes, like, you know, coffee, snacks, anything they spend at a restaurant. I asked them their tuition per semester. I asked them how much they spend um, for commuting or travel if they spend anything per semester, as well as supplies, which includes textbooks or if they have to paint for their major, printing, stuff like that, um, as well as rent and utilities. And I believe that's it. So what I did was I asked 14 students that and then from there I gathered the average price for each subsection and then added all those prices together. And so that was just for semester, that would be the average price. So then I had to multiply that price by eight to count for eight semesters or four full years as an undergrad student at Columbia. And I got a pretty big number. So that was like literally everything, every dime you spend, even on like entertainment, stuff like that, is yeah. all calculated in. So if you're going to Columbia, this is the big number. And when you say tuition, do you mean the $40,000 a year or what isn't covered through financial aid? I asked each student their individual tuition that they pay for per semester. So some students um, gave me numbers like $1,200 versus some students gave me uh, $18,000. So it really depended on the student. Okay, so I'm almost afraid to ask, but what is the big all-encompassing number that it costs to be a Columbia student for four years? Oh boy, I um, don't have my notes in front of me, but the total number um, rounded out to be around after four years at Columbia on tuition and uh, living and all those expenses, a student will pay roughly $109,000. Nice. That yeah. feels good. That feels really good. $109,000.
working a minimum wage job or something like that, I'm guessing you can make anywhere between ten to twenty thousand dollars a year. So unless you worked like multiple jobs throughout your college career, it's it's gonna cost you a pretty penny to come to Columbia. And for those of you out there who are like, well, I don't spend nine or eight semesters here. If you take that hundred and nine thousand uh, dollar mark and divide it by eight, it's around thirteen thousand ish dollars. It comes out around there. There's a little fancy math, but whew. So I, I kind of want to know more about the individual number getting. You ask 14 students. Did any of them do anything crazy? Was there any odd numbers that you found? I mean, I wasn't really sure what to expect when going in for so many interviews. And each interview was like two minutes, basically, because um, I just got their statistics and how they felt about it. So the one thing that really stood out was how much certain people are spending on um, food each week and how so much. So it's by week? Yeah, so okay. I, I would do the math for different people because some people would give me, um, this is, this for example, if someone gave me, told me that they spent $100 on food every week to figure out how much it is for a semester, I would figure out, well, there are 15 weeks per semester, mm-hmm. so 15 times 100 is? Uh, 15, move a zero. Okay, 1,500, please. Yeah, we did it. Hooray. (laughs) Okay, so it would be 1,500 per semester on food. Um, So that is... uh, And that's even groceries and, like, going out to eat. Yeah, that's, like, snacks. I feel feel like that's maybe $50 a week. I know I spend, like, 20-ish in groceries, but I don't really know what I spend in food I go out. That is not bad at all. Um, What do you think is the... Largest number I got for food a week. Largest number for food a week. Oh, if I, I think I, I eat a decent amount, and I work out, so I feel like I'm always kind of eating. I don't skip any meals, and I know some people do. I, I think maybe 150 would be the most a week. I feel like that's, what, five times, three times how much I eat, which would be <sighs> impressive. Yeah, what? Please. That's a deep <laughs> exhale. Yeah. Is is it bigger? Uh, someone told me that I have two. I'll give you the uh, high and the low. Okay. So the lowest um, someone spent, they said they spent probably $15 a week, but that's because they live at home and oh. are packing, so their parents are kind of okay, helping Okay, I was going to say, I'm like, do they just yeah, that's not, not bad. eat? Okay, right? That's not bad at all. That's like three cups of coffee. Uh-huh, yeah, um, okay. But the high was $300 a week. So I had to do the math of 300 times 15. $300 a week? What are you buying? Did you ask them? Did you look at them like, are you okay? I'm not going to judge them. So I was just like, okay, dude, you you do that. You only eat steak, apparently. Like the good kind. <laughs> yeah. And fine wine. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, he seemed pretty happy with his life, so maybe we need to take some tips. So wait, so 300 a week. I think you were just about to get to this. How much is that a semester? So uh, let's do the math. It is 300 times 15. So if 100 times 15 is 1,500, let's do 1,500 times 3. That is 4,500 of, of semester. So almost $5,000 a semester on food alone. Here, hold on. I want to do some quick math. 45 yeah. Fact check that. Thousand. Oh, I'm not fact checking that. I'm oh, fact wow. checking to see how he could pay six months of my rent with how much food he eats. Six months? Yeah, Where are you living? I, it's, <laughs> I have seven twenty-five a month with utilities. Oh, that's not bad. And I only pay for cheap one, electricity. That's, that's what not it bad. Is. If you want a good statistic, that number I gave you, the 109,000 mm-hmm. or so, um, I did. I figured out how much, how many devil dogs milkshakes that would be. Oh, my. 
Yeah. I, how many Devil's Dogs milkshakes is that total out to? So um, I think I don't have the number, but I'll tell you this. Okay, let me check. A, here a milkshake for the is five seventy-five at Devil so Dogs. Five seventy-five. And that my calculations, you found fa- I found that um, with that average number. You could That's, buy a milkshake every day for 52 years. Milkshake every day for 52 years. Judging by my math here, that's about 19,030 milkshakes. Yeah. So one a day for 52 years. Honestly, I feel like that is not enough double dogs. I think that's plenty, actually. <laughs> I'm going to go on the record and say 19,030 milkshakes Probably not too good for the body. Okay, if I'm saying it's not enough and you're saying it's too much, let's go with the average and that's just the right amount. Just, oh, okay. <laughs> enough milkshakes for 52 years of your life. Could you imagine if you started at 20, you'd be, so I'm 20 now. I would have started like a half a year ago and I'd be going for another 51 and a half years. I uh, don't want to do anything for 52 years. I don't know years. if I would. <laughs> there's a chance I might not even live that long. I might not have had 52 years left of my life. And I could still be slurping milkshakes. I still feel like I don't want anything to happen to me every day for 52 years, except maybe, like, hand me $100 every day for 52 yeah, years. No, that would be nice, but, Molly, we are just about out of time here. So where can they find their story? Because I know there's more components to it, and it's yeah. going to look nicer than what we can explain here on the podcast. So how can they go about finding it? Yeah, so it's going to be on ColumbiaChronicle.com. It'll also be in the news uh, stands on the paper on Monday. Um, it'll be under the campus section, page three. And uh, the headline, I believe, right now is, What Does It Cost to Be a Columbia Student? Well, they can go ahead and pick that up in the news stands all throughout the campus. Molly, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. From October 1st to November 17th, Tim Brutzman was not paid the money he was guaranteed when he signed his GI contract. Brutzman receives $2,000 a month for his service, and he will never see the money he was not paid. Brutzman served in the Marine Corps for eight years, which includes time in Afghanistan from 2010 to 2011, and a combat deployment all across the world from 2015 to 2016. If Brutzman misses many more payments, he may have to take out $6,000 of personal loans. My wife and I, you know, we're expecting a baby um, in March, um, and I graduate in May, so I can't, I don't know, it's just definitely going to be hard um, if that happens again, and I'll be on the verge of, you know, taking out loans to feed myself and my wife and my baby, and, you know, you'll be on the verge of homelessness, right? Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> um, which is, you know, it's it's. Sh- the Chronicle was also able to sit down with Peter Costas, who served three tours of duty in the Navy, and you heard it there at the end. If he has not paid his money that he was guaranteed in his GI contract, he could be homeless. Luckily for Costas, he was not one of the thousands of soldiers nationwide who received incorrect payments or no money at all for attending college. Ariana, we have some very serious consequences here due to these missed payments, but What is the situation currently with this money? So from speaking with Paul Loretto, it seemed like there was very few students who were actually affected by uh, the payment situation that was going on with the VA. Um, I think only a few students uh, actually had problems, but I think everyone has gotten their payments so far. I think there was like one student that he mentioned that missed a payment for like one month, but I don't think um, anyone else is 
is currently missing any payments. And is that at Columbia specifically, or is that across the country, or is it, is it differ? That's at Columbia specifically. There's other s- schools that could definitely uh, have some students that are struggling more. Yeah. Um, Columbia was in a better place because of the policies that it already um, takes with submitting the student information. They usually do it pretty early, which is why the students uh, didn't, res- why not many students um, didn't didn't miss or didn't have any problems. But yeah. I was kind of looking around on this story, and I think this was also reported by NBC, but they're not going to get the money that was missed at all. So if it missed any more payments, they may not get that, but the money that's gone is, is gone, essentially? Yeah, that's what it, it looks like right now. And then all this, if I'm not mistaken, was a result of like a glitch in the VA or a department somewhere that prevented this money from being dispersed? Yeah, so Colorado was actually saying that their, uh, whatever system that they use uh, to, I'm assuming, hold this information is pretty outdated. So there's some sort of glitch that messed up, you know, how these payments were scheduled. So I kind of want to get back to Columbia specifically. Off the top, we heard from Tim Brutzman and Peter Costas, who could have potentially dire consequences here if these payments are messed up. But you said at the rest of Columbia, it's fine, and you kind of mentioned why it was okay. But if you can go into a little more depth, when they were prepared, what exactly do we mean by prepared? Yeah, so the way Paul Loretto kind of explained it to me is um, before the year starts, I believe in the summer, he has to send enrollment info for what students are receiving these benefits, how many courses they're taking, um, and he submits that to the VA. There's a certain like deadline that they have to meet, and he usually submits it. You can submit it up to like three months early, I think. He usually submits it early, um, and he tries to get better at doing that each year just because he wants to avoid problems like this. So um, it ended up coming uh, pretty in handy this time. And then kind of from what I was hearing, uh, you did conduct most of the interviews, but I was able to talk to a couple of people then an email kind of went out around September, which warned some student veterans on campus, like, hey, you know what, maybe there may be a problem with this. And then eventually a month later, like the payments were actually missed for some students. Yes, I think so. So the payments may not actually be fixed or the glitch or whatever it may not be solved until spring 2019. You spoke with two student veterans. What were their responses? Were they concerned at all by any potential future mishaps? Um, I'm not sure if they're concerned. I think they definitely are a bit skeptical of the VA and how, you know, and, you know, any of this happens. I think they had some concerns about the way veterans are treated um, because, you know, they do sacrifice a lot. Um, and, you know, this, you know, they're trying to get an education and, you know, give back to the system, better yeah. themselves, all the, the cliches you want to say. Yeah. I know even Peter Costas, when listening back to the interview when I was transcribing all the, the fun times there, <laughs> he mentioned, he's like, you know, most people think of these benefits as like a perk or just something nice that they get. But right. he's like, we almost went and died yeah, they earned to it. get it. So, And listening to their interview, I really can't play too much of it without having to censor it because they were, they were <laughs> rather upset I wasn't in there in person. Was it kind of more of a a damp mood then with this whole situation? Yeah, I mean, so the story's kind of, obviously it's terrible that student 
veterans are experiencing this because of the glitch. But as far as Columbia goes, it's on a more positive note. So what was interesting about those interviews was, um, you know, it, it wasn't as positive because they still, although they're in a much better place than some other schools may be in, they're still, you know, kind of like, how could this happen in the first place, you know? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we're talking emails in September um, of the people we talked to, one missed a payment, and that was October to November. And we're sitting here in December. I didn't even hear about this story. How did you get a hold of it? And then, you know, what was kind of the steps after that? Um, so I, I kind of heard a little bit about it just going on in the news from other uh, news organizations, um, just about these missed payments and the VA had you know, announced that they weren't going to be repaying anything back. Uh, so I had kind of already known about it, but I actually got the story um, from another reporter at the Chronicle who was uh, who had to miss the, the rest of the week for some personal reason. So I kind of had to pick up the story and finish it um, so that I could make it into the print uh, edition. Okay, well, we can end this episode by hearing uh, a little bit from that Paul Loretto interview. So we do have sound of that. You have a lot to stress out about. Let's try to make your bill not one of those things. When it comes down to April and May and you're squeezing out those finals, you don't want to be dealing with a hold. Thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. Again, the last one of the semester. Best of luck on your finals, and I hope everyone has a great winter break and a happy holidays from the Chronicle. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Until next time.